0: The AWS for Software Companies Podcast, Episode 10, Digital Transformation, Leveraging Purpose-Built Databases with SailPoint. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS for Software Companies Podcast, where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, we hear from Grady Summers and Marty Bowers of SalePoint on how their partnership with AWS resulted in their product running 1,800 times faster at 1 50th of the cost.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Grady Summers. Uh, I lead the product team at SailPoint. Been there for about three years. Started working with AWS. I like really in the first few months uh, of AWS, like with EC2 and S3 back in like 2007. Um, and then really in earnest, uh, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years since I built our first cloud-native uh, SaaS
2: product uh, when I was uh, over at FireEye. Want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Marty Bowers. Bar- yeah, Marty Bauer is VP of DevOps um, at SailPoint. Um, been at SailPoint for almost seven years, kind of started with the SaaS journey of taking our on-prem product, bringing it into the cloud. Um so it's been a heck of a journey. Uh, scaled it out to where we are today. Uh, previous to that I was at WP Engine uh, doing kind of similar things and then Bizarre Voice, uh, something similar before that. So a lot of a lot of familiar folks. Yeah. I
1: also have Joe Bulger here who runs our data science engineering team as well. We won't torture him by dragging him up here, but got good representation from Sailpoint. So um, you know, Barry, uh, you said we not databases aren't as sexy as as the AI stuff we we beg to differ um, but we, what we want to show you is uh, we, we love both but we want to show you a cool way we were able to um, you know, Barry kept hitting purpose built right like finding the right tool for the job and how we were able to take a something that we were doing and uh, do it 1800 times faster at 150th of the cost just by stepping back and like hey we How should we be approaching this, can we we re-architect it, and does AWS have a purpose-built solution to help us do it? So it was awesome. We love our partnership with AWS, and um, we think this is a really cool example of maybe something not as sexy but can be transformational for your business. Um, Who in here knows SailPoint? See, I live in the Northeast, and you know, I do this in like New York or Philly. I get maybe a hand or so, so it's nice to to be among people who know a little bit about the company. Um, so yeah, we've been around uh, over 15 years now, uh, over 2,500 customers. Uh, we'll be t- we have a, an on-premise product um, that we, we're sort of known for in the early years, but as Marty said, we've really scaled up the SaaS offering. It's uh, we're 250 million ARR now, growing at over 60% year-over-year, year. so it's, uh, it's really been well-received by our customers. We're used by you know, about half of the Fortune 500 out there, and what we do is help uh, to govern identity. So everybody knows like, what Okta does, and you know, Microsoft Single Sign-On is your login or your multi-factor. Uh, and you know, a lot of you may be familiar with what companies like CyberArk do for privileged identity management. I want to check out that like, root password for an hour to do a patch or something, we think of ourselves very much in the middle. We like to think we're the brains kind of behind all that. Uh, and what we do is make sure the right people have access to the right things at the right time. Uh, and part of the complexity here, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into the use case, is that identities are, are really complex. Uh, an identity writ large might be comprised of, you could start out with a, an identity, a, a person, one of us or a bot or a non-employee that might have one or more roles assigned to them. And each of those roles might have one or more access profiles and every access profile. Access profile, let me go to the bottom, you might have a series of entitlements. So an entitlement there might be uh, Grady is allowed to approve purchase orders in SAP. Um, But the access profile might be like, um, you know, SAP access for an accounts payable person and my role might be Austin accounts payable and my identity is Grady Summers, right? So every one of those layers, it's it's a many to many relationship. And so when an identity changes, customers wanna know that it changed, but it's not like just incrementing an ID number in a field or changing a product number. You can't represent that easily in a line or a relational database. So that brings us to the challenge we had. So our customers wanna know, uh, and it's funny by the way, I think we all, Uh, have products that have sort of just evolved over time, and you step back and say, okay, what do we actually do here and what do customers want? You listen to your customers. And so we started out, you could approve, uh, request access um, to to a particular system. So I'm a new employee, I want to request access to that SAP system. an approver then, a manager, could approve that access. And then on a periodic basis, you have to certify that access. And a lot of you, especially if you're like a publicly traded company, you might have to periodically recertify, yes, that person should still have access. Taking it all together, uh, our, our customers want to know, give me the history of an identity. Like, when did this person get this access? Who approved it? Uh, when did they stop having access? You know, and, and there are many reasons for compliance, audit, security. You might want to go back in time and take a look at that. So when we, as a product evolved and evolved, we didn't have a great facility to do that. So several years back, we built it, and we actually built it out of, out of Joe's team. At the time, we viewed it as um, sort of data science things. How do we take this complex many to many thing and easily give a history when something changed? Because when one little thing changes, a lot changes. Let's say uh, new employees are added or terminated on a Friday afternoon, right? Uh, or you just change a job. You change a job, your role changes. And when that role changes, now you have different access profiles, maybe a bunch get taken away, and with that entitlements get removed. And so one little change, just moving to a different office or taking a different job or changing one word in your title could have this big ripple effect. So what we were doing at the time is because we didn't have a great facility to do that, uh, we would have a batch process. We would query Identity Now. Identity Now is our our flagship SaaS product. And it would basically pull back a representation of uh, everybody in the organization's identities, do some compares, basically diff them, and uh, pull that back into Elasticsearch. And every one of, the, every one of those processes needed a Flink cus- cluster associated with it. So you'd have a, a few um, EC2s running Flink. They would go, they would do that query, uh, and they'd pull it back. Could only do that query every 15 minutes so because we couldn't be constantly hammering these databases in real time. They didn't have a a great mechanism to post changes out. So it became this kind of cumbersome batch process that had a number of challenges. So I'll just hit these challenges, and then Marty will take us through the good news on it. Um, As you can probably hear right there, uh, it it was slow because we only batched up every 15 minutes. Because the processing to do all those diffs took quite a amount of time before we could insert them into Elasticsearch. Uh, It was at least 15 minutes, but really maybe 30, 45 minutes until realistically a change would show up to become searchable the other problem is because we were doing those batch windows if somebody especially if like an attacker were to add access to a system do something bad and then flip it back nobody ever would have known right because when you pulled it to do a diff it just looked the same as it did 15 minutes ago and on top of it super expensive the Flink clusters the Elasticsearch elastic search is awesome it's great for so many things but we found it wasn't great for representing this type of data and for making it um, very quickly searchable and certainly not for the heavy volume of inserts, so many writes. Like I said, you know, I was just talking to a customer last week, every Monday they onboard about 12,000 employees because of the nature of their business. Um, those 12,000 they're like short-term employees, they all get spun up you know, on a Monday morning. So imagine trying to do that with this process I just described, heavy, heavy, heavy um, writes and less frequent reads, but when you read, you need them to be quick. So super expensive. Oh, and here's the, the real crux of it is uh, this was, as I said earlier, it started out in our AI group. This was only available to customers who upgraded to our AI functionality. And a few years ago, we started to ask, this is crazy. This is like search, searching your history. This should be available to every one of our customers. So we went to the data science team and said, hey, we want to roll this, which is at about 50 customers at the time. We want to roll it out to a thousand customers. And they started hyperventilating a little bit, but they found a way better way.
2: So did I, for what it's worth. I mean, it, the way we were doing it was so expensive, and I, you know, I kind of manage a lot of our AWS spend across all the portfolio products. I was really concerned about this as well. So uh, we kind of went back to the drawing board and said, how can we build this to scale? How can we build it to be cheaper and faster? Um, and really, the design that we came up with was pretty simplistic. You know, we have a, a horizontally scalable microservice to ingest stuff, that into Kafka. Have another horizontally scalable service to pull it off of the Kafka queue, and then. And then, uh, and then put it into DynamoDB. Um, Dynamo itself was also, we, we enabled auto scaling there and it was you know, relatively economical until we started getting to scale and we said, okay, even Dynamo was ending up being pretty expensive. So uh, we went with infrequent access tables um, and that's the solution we have today, um, which is very, very cheap. Uh, you know, 150 is, is, is a great way to yeah. say it. Um, much faster, we don't have the 15 minute delay and we don't have that 15-minute gap where we could miss something, like an attacker or just just normal business. We may miss some of those changes, right? So, um, do we have a? Do we take off the slide on kind of the, the learnings? No, we got
1: that in here. Oh, okay. We hit the learnings. See benefits. We hit 1,800 times faster, 50 times cost reduction. How many of y'all use DynamoDB? do you know if you use the IA, the infrequent access storage? We found that great. Like Marty says, worth echoing that point is, um, I think list rates is like uh, 25 cents versus 10 cents for the infrequent access. I mean, it's substantially cheaper. You're going, you know, less than half uh, for things. It's a little bit slower on the reads, um, handles the rights just fine though, so.
2: Yeah, for this use case, it was perfect, right? Yeah. And Elasticsearch was just, well, we had a lot of Elasticsearch experience in-house, which is why we went with it initially. Just rather, wasn't really purpose-built for this use case. Dynamo was. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right. We got some learnings, but Marty, you wanna talk a little about what else we use in there? Yeah,
2: I mean, this is kind of, you know, I think Barry, you know, said, I think we're in that, that, that percentage of customers where, you know, we give our development teams a lot of autonomy to pick the right solution for the job, right, so we use all of these things, uh, both on the container side and on the data side. I mean, SageMaker, I think everybody said it today, we can say that as well, it's our Ops platform, Data Lake is in an S3, and then, you know, we use a number of these services, including the database migration service, which is a pretty interesting use case for it to take a legacy database, and start siphoning off data into microservices as we spin up new, new services to, to break down kind of monoliths, right? So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're a heavy user of kind of all of the above to make sure we're using the right tool for the job.
1: Yeah. All right, so what did we learn through this process?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and I, I, I hate to say this one the way, the, you know, the way it's written, uh, understand your use case up front. I think the team did understand it up front, even back with the first design. It just wasn't built for the scale that we were expecting to see, right? So, yeah. but, Definitely fully understand the data use case. Um, some things are, are not in easily interchangeable when it comes uh, to, from st- streaming versus batch. Um, this is kind of, you know, move quick and iterate. That's kind of a, yeah, you know, I, I think the, the last 20 years in SAS, that's what everybody kind of says, you know, make sure you move fast and iterate fast, fail fast, right? Um, and then be aware of your own, you know, kind of, uh, trap of trying to say, oh, I can run this myself cheaper and more economical uh, when there is something that's a managed uh, solution that, that, that'll, that'll, that'll meet your need, especially if you're going into all these, you know, dis, you know, diverse technologies. You don't want to have to have humans on your team to be experts in all of that. Let AWS do that heavy lifting.
1: I think that middle bullet too is key in that we could have said, hey, how do we get the perfect, we call this feature access history. I don't know if we said that to start, but we could have said, how do we really perfect access history so we can take it out to a thousand plus customers? And uh, we, you know, we might have worked years on that, right? I think what the team did, even though, you know, it almost sounds like the, the way we described the, the old solution, like, oh, it's terrible. you know, it, it was right for the time. And it was great that we got it out there and started to learn, experience, and got customer feedback on how to improve it. And this is, we have this debate a lot with like the CFO and the finance folks. Uh, we wanna run out roll out a new service. Um, I think one of the bigger ones we rolled out recently is running you know, initially fairly low gross margins. And they're saying, you know, hey, we can't push this thing out. It's, you know, gross margins are too low. We always have to remind finance, like the beauty of SaaS and beauty of, of working at AWS is that ability to constantly lower, um, our costs and, and increase our gross margins, and indeed, you know, we had a, a big product that last year we were in the 40s on gross margin, and I'm confident we'll be up into the high 60s by the end of this year. So, uh, I think that's important. And then in that last one, I think we've all all lived through that one before. In a prior role, we had um, we said, no, we're going to run our own uh, Elasticsearch. We can do it way cheaper than Amazon's, and you know. A year later, you look back, you have 10 people running a Elasticsearch service, and you're like, eh, ah, I probably should have gone with the managed version. Anyway, those are our learnings. look forward to taking questions here in a bit. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. Subscribe and follow the AWS for Software Companies podcast in your podcast app to hear other great stories of customers and the software executive community. Please share these episodes with your teams on LinkedIn and on other social media. Thanks again for listening.